0: Comic Book Decalogue, Hello and welcome to Comic Book Decalogue. My name is Greg Hunter and on this podcast we ask the same ten questions to a different cartoonist with each installment. It's comprehensive, it's efficient, I, I like to think it's what Elon Musk would do if he had a comics podcast. People do think he's cool, Right. I don't know why I'm asking, I just haven't been online lately. Laura Lanis is the show's guest this time. Laura is maybe best known for By Monday I'll Be Floating in the Hudson with the Other Garbage, her collection of diary comics, and her upcoming comic John Deere was part of Retrofit Comics' recent Kickstarter. That book will be out this fall. You know, the actual hope with this podcast's list is that it's always a springboard to something surprising, and that's very much the case here. We talked quite a bit, even more than expected, about the humor in Laura's work, and about humor as a way to ingratiate yourself with people, humor as a shield, and the complications and discomfort around comedy and art. Uh, this one's a good app. If you're new to Laura's work, by the way, you can see more at com or find her on Twitter at at... Orlana's, but right now, please enjoy these next ten questions. Question number one is, what's the last comic you finished reading?
1: I just read um, Love That Bunch by Aileen Kaminsky. No kidding. Crown, yeah. Not the new one, though. I know it's being reissued or mm-hmm. something. An old one that I got as a really good uh, birthday gift. And it was interesting to see how much of it survives.
0: Sure. In you terms know? of datedness or yeah. contemporary resonance.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I first read it when I was like 14, 15. And she was actually a huge influence uh, for me. I'm sure... For a lot of other um, women who make uh, autobio comics as well. But I really loved how she would just put it all out there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, um, how she would draw herself interacting with like Crumb or someone else. And she would have like 15 thought bubbles. And they all have very contradictory thoughts. Sure. Things like that. Um, I really loved it but it's really unfortunate to now as an adult have to confront Aileen as a person <laughs> you know and her awful opinions and uh, you know the things that she does like the creep shots thing that was in the New York Times
0: yeah yeah which she kind of curates for Chrome yeah
1: yeah uh, pretty terrible yeah, but I mean, I feel like that's work that you have to do with all your favorite artists—is to um, mm-hmm. be able to take what you like and uh, leave behind their um, intense problematicness. Well,
0: in rereading it recently, just how different was the experience? Like, did you find the work of separating art and artist? Uh, challenging enough i guess that it compromised the experience badly or were you able to more or less enjoy what you enjoyed back when you were a teenager
1: well i i wouldn't separate art and artists i don't think that's a good path to go down especially with someone like her Mm -hmm. her work is her i see it more as um this is my personal philosophy for this kind of thing I'm going to look at it and I'm going to steal as much as I can, Mm -hmm. you know, from what I like in her work and then probably, um, not, for instance, mention her as, um, as someone to be
0: an influence
1: because she's not, I mean, she and Crumb were really influential to me, but that was, they were the first, some of the first cartoonists that I read Mm -hmm. I didn't know about, uh, like, Gabrielle Bell or Julie Doucet or many other cartoonists that I found out about later because of the internet. Mm-hmm. And so I'm almost resentful of the influence that Crumb and Aileen had on me. Sure. Yeah, I wouldn't defend them at all. It's more like um, taking from their work what you can or what you want and then moving on.
0: Well, with all that in mind, what was it that compelled you to revisit the book? Was it just that there's also a re-release now, so there's a lot of press around her at the moment?
1: It was a birthday gift.
0: Oh, a very recent birthday gift.
1: I just had I a see. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was actually really great to be able to look at her work again because I've been, I think, mimicking it to an extent for the past decade Mm -hmm. and it was good to look at it again and see how much i had stolen but you know i think that you can build your own personal canon it doesn't have to be you know how people are like oh and chris ware and you know like they want to suck their dicks (laughs) you know i don't (laughs) i think that you can uh, have your own personal canon with the artists that you think are um the real masters
0: well, I'm looking at a copy of building stories a uh, few feet away from us now so I might as well ask what what is your relationship to Ware's work at this point? is, is that also something you would revisit or work, you know, you, you've checked that box you, you did your own work with it and then set it aside as you continued to grow as an artist
1: he's not that bad, I don't think I did have to buy that for school which I'm still... Uh, cranky about
0: because
1: it was not a cheap book no it's not Um, and it doesn't really fit anywhere and it's very annoying to read because it's a box and not a book (laughs) but I don't think he's as bad as Crumb Um, I think he's more uh, like bland I mean do you remember his cover for the New Yorker with the two cops yes yes one is black and one is white. Mm-hmm. What is that? What does that mean? What does they that both look saying?
0: mildly nervous around each other. Yeah. Yeah. It was certainly not, not a piece of art that broke the nationwide tension around that issue or, or moved us forward. I don't think. Although I, I do like his work very much, but I'm a bland Midwesterner too, so well, so for perhaps I see some of myself in that.
1: But that was nothing. That was that was not even him saying, you know, this is how people are feeling in the Midwest. How how were those cops feeling? They just mm-hmm. looked awkward. Right. That's nothing. It was the blandest fucking thing. And just other covers that I think are very... Um, you know, technology nowadays. Oh boy. You know,
0: yeah, he's gotten a lot of mileage out of people drawing people with their cell phones out. Yeah. At an appropriate moment.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like the parents with their phones while the kids are trick or treating. Mm-hmm. And then the phone light their parents faces and the doors like the kids or the one with all the phones that the kids play. Mm-hmm. What do I get from that? You know, phones, so many phones now.
0: He has concerns.
1: About phones, About. yeah. <laughs> Clearly they're on his mind a lot. Yeah, so I don't think that he's, like, a problem like like other cartoonists. I just think he's kind of uninteresting. And I definitely don't think that... Um, what's the name of his book? This Murderous Boy in the World? Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy Corrigan. It's a good book, but, like, calm down. You know?
0: That might... Well, cover uh, the third question on the list, which is, what's the most widely loved comic you can't connect with? Uh, But I'll I'll ask you question number two now, uh, which is, what cartoonist doesn't get enough praise?
1: Oh, wait, I actually have an answer for the other one.
0: Okay, please.
1: By the way, the only reason why I am fine talking shit about these people is that it won't affect their careers. Mm Mm-hmm. And also, you know, who knows how much time I have left in the U.S. <laughs> um, I don't care. Um, but I hate Blankets. I think it's a really shitty book that doesn't deserve half the praise that it got. Do you remember how crazy people were about it?
0: Yeah, I, I think I was in high school when Blankets came out. And I haven't revisited it since then, I don't think. Which is, you know, at the risk of just sounding like a fence-sitter right now. I'm not sure what my opinion of Blankets is anymore, but I remember, uh, you know, being in my late teens or early 20s and thinking Blankets was mandatory reading.
1: Right, yeah. It's another comic that people put in Derek Cannon. It shouldn't be. It's terrible. I actually did revisit it last year, maybe. And I remember reading it as a teen and thinking, you know, it's kind of boring, but whatever. But then rereading it more recently, I was shocked by how bad it was. Just um, a really creepy uh, portrayal of a teenage girl. He makes her literally a saint uh, at some point. Mm-hmm. Just really weird and not good.
0: Well, in that case, what motivated you to check the book back out?
1: Because I own a copy, and I was like, Oh, remember this? Maybe this is a time for me to like it. And it it was not. Terrible book, much worse than I remembered. Yeah, just a terrible um, woman character. And just endless um, empathy for that stupid teen character who was Craig Thompson. Who I found insufferable. Yeah, I don't know. I have less and less tolerance for stories about uh, men finding their way. Mm -hmm. Um, I would hope that they would start finding it in secret or (laughs) 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 not broadcast it so much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so a cartoonist that deserves more praise. I think Laeche, who is this Brazilian cartoonist, Best cartoonist in Brazil, Mm -hmm. amazing artist. I don't know why she's not internationally published. As far as I know, she has not been published in the U.S. Well, except for a comic she did for um, a zine I did, uh, Bad Boyfriends. She has a comic in it. But, you know, that's like Mm self-published, unofficial. I don't don't understand why she's never been published um, by one of the big ones. She should be
0: let me ask you a question related to that and we can we can cut this part out if it's not not relevant or not ready to be announced yet but I saw on Twitter uh, a while back you tweeted about the possibility of translating and then publishing I think uh, X number of Brazilian comics is that still a project you have in mind something that yeah. you hope to do
1: I would love to do that The only reason I haven't is because I'm always working and don't have money but I would love to do that. Um, I have so many artists that I love uh, who are from Brazil. Mm-hmm. Some of them are my friends. Like, I've, I've been lucky enough to meet them after, um, you know, living in Brazil, and also because I would go after them online and be like, do you want to be my friend? And I think they should be making some. Uh, of that sweet American dollar money (laughs) (laughs) you know Um, I would love to publish them here yeah and then just PayPal them some crazy amounts because the exchange rate right now is pretty good if you make money in dollars (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, and send it to Brazil that that's definitely something that I would like to do at some point um, when I'm less overworked and uh, have the cash
0: Our fourth question is, uh, we've talked a bit already about your teenage years reading, but if you can send one comic back in time to yourself at 14, what is that comic and why?
1: That's too hard. (laughs) I did later, um, as an older teen, find uh, Gabrielle Bell's work online, Mm -hmm. which was a game changer for me because I thought, comics were a bunch of guys and they lean even like uh, because I, before even finding out about Crumb and others, I just read Brazilian newspaper strips which were also all guys Um, and I thought this is what comics look like they're drawn in ink and they have these panels you know, and they have these stories and I wish I had seen more experimental stuff like we have today that is so much more interesting Than You know That 60 stuff um, Yeah The stuff that isn't in ink The first time I realized it You didn't have to make a comment in ink That mm-hmm. was mind blowing to me And that's so stupid You know And I was like Oh I guess I could Just use collar pencil Yeah Because scanners are really good now You don't have mm-hmm. to You know Xerox stuff like that yeah, I would have liked to have seen something m- more experimental, maybe abstract. I don't think I have just one comic.
0: With Gabrielle's work, you know, there's an obvious emotional honesty to it, but I think a willingness sometimes to just swerve into the absurd, and it's not experimental in the in the way you tend to think of experimental comics. There, but I think there are a lot of like choices she makes, you know, narratively, that very few people are making those kinds of choices in their work in the same way, and I, I tend to like those a lot.
1: Yeah, I agree. One of the first stories I read by her, I think was from Lucky, mm-hmm. and um, she, oh my god, I haven't read this in many years, but I think she goes up a hill on her bike, and for some reason turns into a giant. And she gets really sad because she can no longer go into her apartment and see her roommates. (laughs) You know, it has this... It feels dreamlike. And it's so emotional. But not maudlin. Just loaded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really loved that. That changed things for me. I think up until I got in touch with her stuff. And I know this is stuff from like a decade ago, but... It was so formative... I just wanted to make funny comics I just wanted people to think I was funny above all and I guess I still do but less so I'm growing up uh I wanna be vulnerable so that teen girls maybe will read my comics Mm -hmm. and not do what I did but just try to draw like a bunch of dudes from the (laughs) 60s
0: well uh a comic like The Basil Plant is a few years old now um and I hope I'm not, you know, taking wide liberty and maybe drawing a connection between some of those Gabrielle strips and, and that comic. I mean, how do you relate to a comic like that nowadays? Which is, I mean, it's a funny comic, but it's it reads like a personal comic also.
1: That was definitely inspired by Gabrielle Bell. <laughs> if not just fucking outright stolen from her <laughs> shit. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, it is, it is from 2014. But I think what I was trying to do with that was do something that she did. I realized that I didn't, that I could do anything. I mm-hmm. had a comic that I did before that one, a few years before, where I turned into Francis Bacon, the painter. Mm-hmm. With, that's pretty much from Gabrielle's comics, you know, like shape-shifting or things like that. This one is not so far from that, like turning into a man. But I really wanted to, um, you know how Simpsons episodes they start with, it it feels, it seems like it's going one way and then around the middle it shifts. Mm -hmm. It feels like there's two stories, like there's a false ceiling. I wanted to do that, like you think the story's going one way and then it goes another. So that's also stealing is what I'm saying. (laughs) I was stealing from Gabriel Bell and The Simpsons and that's what I got. Yeah, I love to steal.
0: (laughs) All right, our fifth question is, How much do you think about readers when you're making a comic?
1: Maybe that's the crucial division of uh, whether a comic or a moment in a comic is funny or vulnerable. Because if I'm being vulnerable, I'm not thinking about the readers at all. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to explain something inside of me. Real art. (laughs) Self-expression. And if I'm trying to be funny, it's this pathetic need for connection and approval because maybe I wasn't hugged enough as a child and now I need people to laugh you know and that's very much about the readers
0: maybe this is an oversimplification but does that feel less authentic to you afterwards the making of those,
1: it those pieces it feels like hiding something a little I do want people to think my comic is funny for sure mm-hmm. but Don't you feel like if you're trying to be funny, you're trying to... I mean, you know, it's how people say um, a defense mechanism. You're trying to connect and get people on your side. Mm -hmm. And that's why you're trying to make them laugh. You want them to like you. That's like the opposite of being vulnerable. I think I just realized something here talking about this.
0: Yeah, and I don't know... like, I'm very arch in the intros to these podcasts, for instance. Um, and there's probably a measure of comfort in that. <laughs> so, I don't know.
1: I don't either, but I'm in therapy. I'll get there.
0: <laughs> well, let me ask you a, a follow up question about that. You're at a point now where, you know, I imagine you'll be at a comics festival, something like that. Uh, you'll encounter strangers who know you through your work or know your work at least and it's no question whether a person can know you through your work but have you reached a point in your cartooning life now where you're uh, semi regularly experiencing the weirdness of having people meet you having read your work and at least presuming to know who you are or presuming to know your inner life rather
1: I think a little bit not not that much I mean. Comics. The the most famous person in comics is nobody. You know? I mean, I, I sometimes get messages from girls mostly uh, sadly saying they identified with a story from a comic of mine and they're all terrible stories usually about mm-hmm. dating. So that sucks for them. But I do like that connection. I like that they feel comfortable enough to message me and be like I have like uh, seven STDs because dudes keep lying when they say they're going to get confused <laughs> things like that and I'm like, oh my god girl I know but I also get um, great emails from guys who think I should just leave these men alone and not make really? comments about them wow um, uh, that I should just fucking move on.
0: The but, amount of anger motivating that is, <laughs> I yeah, mean.
1: I mean, who cares? Um, since my comic is, like, I'm only now selling it myself. It was never really out mm-hmm. officially. That means they bought it from me. <laughs> <that's> <laughs> before, so before emailing me. So I don't care. If you want to buy my comic, To then email me about it. I'll just have a Gmail filter and keep your money.
0: (laughs) I want to loop back to the question of humor and honesty of expression, because that's very interesting to me, too. I I don't know if we're on the verge of a breakthrough, per se, but I'm (laughs) I'm trying to search for another question about it. Is it a goal for you to excise, to remove humor from your work, or at least to scale it back? I mean, I know that's probably a difficult thing to, you know, decide to do abstractly and then then follow through, but in terms of, you know, honesty of expression or a more like thoroughgoing, committed kind of art and, and an art with a sense of humor in it, yeah, do you see yourself scaling back the humor?
1: So we're working through this as we go, right? Like, right. This is interesting because I had never thought about this. So I'm going to I'm just making this up as I go. But like actually it's not really like that, right? right? Like it's not like just because it's funny it's not genuine. Right. So you can you can definitely have humor and be vulnerable. I guess what I mean is a certain type of joke or maybe a certain volume of jokes?
0: Sure. Like you know? a defense mechanism by volume or it's an interesting question of when a joke is or isn't a defense mechanism yeah and I don't have the answer to that I know for myself I tend to distrust art that doesn't have at least a measure of humor in it um and I think of a lot of a lot of art I like a lot which is not comedy per se like um like David Lynch or Patricia Highsmith to name a few personal favorites of mine those are yeah those are not humorists but there's definitely a a humor in the work that's you kind of can't envision the work without it. But yeah, I mean, the the notion of humor as a defense mechanism and something I suppose you can lean on a bit too much is, yeah, a
1: yeah.
0: recognizable idea to me, and I think there is something to that.
1: Maybe that's it. It's leaning on it too much. Maybe, maybe it's a good, genuine type of humor uh, that allows for vulnerability when everything else can breathe. Mm -hmm. And not when it's the author fully leaning on it. I do think, though, it is pretty much always a way to get your audience on your side. I'm pretty sure. Especially in comics. Uh, I feel like when we talk about humor in comics, we really mean it's self deprecating humor.
0: That is a lot of it, I think, yeah.
1: Yeah, overwhelming yeah that's how I'm gonna die i'm gonna drown in all those shitty like strips about people who hate mm-hmm. themselves including mine <sighs> um but do you know what I mean like yeah they're they're just trying to be like look at me like I'm so pathetic you have to love me you know
0: if I had the option right now, tagging out of this conversation and letting Gabrielle talk to you about it. That is a conversation I'd love to hear because I think, you know, you mentioned her work earlier and I think that's a good example of work where, you know, it's humor is wrapped up in the absurd flourishes of her work, for instance. And those don't feel like, you know, like, like moments of pandering uh, or anything like it, but there's certainly, you know, humor is inherent to that and to a lot of other parts of her work, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Her stuff can be funny and vulnerable, but it's never that disgusting little type of uh, self-deprecating humor that you see so much in bad comics. She, She's just great. I love her work. It's always a fine quality of, um, you know, this emotional mesh. Also because, you know, like you said, pandering. Do you know that um Orson Welles quote about Woody Allen?
0: I say it again cuz I've heard this.
1: I don't remember the whole thing, but he says that he's not really shy, he's actually very arrogant. Yes,
0: yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Isn't that fucking good? Like mm-hmm. What does he say? That he um And I think I so I saw this because Michael DeForge tweeted it. Mhm. Uh, adding, you know, here's a summary of every cartoonist out there. (laughs) (laughs) And it was something like uh, Orson Welles is saying about Woody Allen, like he loves himself and he hates himself and there's this horrible tension, something like that. I think that's what leads to that pandering humor, which I really, really hope is not what I'm doing. And I feel like if I were doing it, I wouldn't be able to tell because I would be trapped in that tension of sure. loving myself and hating myself, which is also.
0: I think most people do, but artists, I think both poles yeah. tend to be more uh, intense.
1: And comedians. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other strain of people that desperately want their audience to be on their side.
0: Sure. Yeah, I. God, I. For apologies in advance, Laura, and the listener uh, for citing. For being a white dude podcaster, citing Mark Maron right now. But he often um, brings up uh, that quote about how people become comedians because they want to control how people laugh at them.
1: Oh, wow. That's pretty good. Yeah. That is what I do. <laughs> because I feel like I'm on this quest to not be doing the gross, terrible, self deprecating humor and trying to do something more vulnerable. But also only in the way that I want, and only in the way that I will let you laugh at me. Right. Yeah, that's pretty good. I guess I like a Mark Marin quote.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting to me. I is when I mentioned earlier that I tend not to trust art that doesn't have at least a measure of humor. I think it's because the world is funny in a lot of ways, and authentically representing the world involves, uh, you know, an awareness of those moments and it's it's a good way to sniff out pretension, I think, the absence of humor. But I also think, you know, especially if you're doing autobiographical work, I, I can imagine instances in which that constant self-deprecation is maybe a failure to recognize, you know, the integrity of certain moments in your own life.
1: And I think also an unwillingness to step into someone else's shoes and try to perceive the situation from their eyes. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that um, self-deprecation comes from that, from intense self-focus.
0: It's probably a constant consideration of how you think other people are looking at you.
1: Yes, and I think if you do that, you are not going to have a very good view of the events in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, You don't even really know what happened if you can't... Uh, try to imagine how it was for the other person or the other people. I have this book that I really love that I just lent to a friend, so I've been thinking about it, and she liked it too, um, called Ongoingness by Sarah Manguso. And it's um, it's about her struggles with not being able to stop uh, keeping a diary.
0: Huh.
1: So it this is, was really right up my alley because I kept diaries... Uh, compulsively for most of my life although her case was a lot more severe she keeps trying to write everything that happens to her every day Mm -hmm. so that there's a record and she's also concerned of having a true record so in this case she couldn't just say you know I went to the market and I bought some bananas she would give consideration to uh, the people she interacted with like the grocer or how were the bananas is this a good picture of her time on earth as a person who bought bananas mm-hmm. I mean, i mean this is, this is compulsive obviously but she's a great writer i think because she has this in the back of her mind this concern with the bigger picture she's not someone who's just walking around and being like oh uh... They had several types of bananas, but I bought the cheapest because I'm just cheap as shit. Haha, mm-hmm. ha. You know? I don't know. I feel like I'm being really down on <laughs> jokes, but I'm not...
0: But it's worth interrogating, I think, for like the reasons you mentioned. like wh- The use of humor.
1: Yeah. The value
0: of humor versus the perils of humor.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do still desperately just want people to think I'm funny. But... uh I want them to do that in the good way. Mm I don't know. The way that I want them to think of me a way that's also vulnerable. All
0: right, I'll ask you our sixth question now. Now, What's the closest you've come to quitting cartooning?
1: Oh, never. I relate to this woman's issue a lot with not being able to stop diary. I'm just always going to make comics. You know, I've been doing it like I would do it in school, in college, even though I went to art school, you know, doing unrelated classes. It's just, it's what I like to do. And, I mean, I've done it through all of this. I'm only now starting to make money from comics. Why would I stop now? <laughs> the worst has passed.
0: Mm-hmm. Let me ask you our next question then. Not everyone has a long answer for that one. Uh, What's the best advice you've heard about making comics?
1: I'm not sure I have any any of that. I like to read books like non-comics and then just think, okay, like this book really sucked and that book is really good. What's the difference? And then I try to do that in comics. Mm -hmm. But that's not really advice
0: Are any of the young women who write to you cartoonists themselves?
1: Sometimes, yeah. Um, But then it's usually me giving them advice and it's not about comics. It's about dating and how you shouldn't do it at all.
0: (laughs) And our eighth question, what's the worst decision you've made as a cartoonist?
1: Just to be a cartoonist. I've made some bad decisions like financially. But I can't think of any single horrible uh, one. My first SPX, you know, I paid for... Um, I split a table, but I had to pay for that. And getting there and back and hotel. And I sold three comics at $2 each.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So maybe that was my low point. <laughs> that was pretty bad. But you know, I didn't quit then, so I'm not going to quit now. Sure.
0: <laughs> And uh, question number nine What work from another medium Has influenced you the most?
1: Books Yeah, I don't know I'm afraid of I think about this a lot though About becoming someone who wants to write Uh Which is very scary Because I can't write And then I feel like if I make a comic The pictures can kind of hold up What the text is lacking (laughs) You know, like they they help each other, but I'm afraid of becoming one of those cartoonists um, who actually would really wish that they were just a writer. Do you know what I'm talking about? That type.
0: Well, you know, I'm not sure. Like, how how like much actually? How much like writing do you find yourself doing, if any, separate from like recreationally, but separate from comics making? Is it something you've you've dipped a toe into?
1: Not much, because I then just always want to turn them into comics. I kind of would like it if I at some point lost interest in comics. Especially if I then developed an interest in something much more lucrative.
0: Sure, yeah, I wouldn't recommend writing. I would recommend coding or real estate.
1: That's true, I guess writing is not much better. But, yeah, I haven't done a lot of writing. But I've read quite a few comics where the writing was pretty good, but the art was terrible. And then it's the imbalance, you know, the comic doesn't survive, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the opposite, too, obviously, where the art is amazing, but the text is terrible, the story, or whatever. I'm afraid of both of those options. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I think I'm more interested in reading um, books. I like that a lot more than looking at paintings, for instance. I don't think I can ever become a painter. When I was in college, I did some paintings. I got really bad critiques because they were too narrative too narrative um, and and that was true
0: when you when you do engage with painting, you find yourself also working to impose a narrative onto a, an object that may or may not you know square with that that kind of approach
1: I think so um, i don 't think it's bad per se. For a painting to have a narrative, I think that was maybe... I think my teachers were a bit obsessed with, like, Renaissance paintings. They wanted Mm -hmm. us to really follow that model, And that's why they didn't like my painting. I mean, they were bad, but that's why they (laughs) thought that they were too narrative. Mm -hmm. Personally, like, my problem is that I can never just let an image be. I can never just make a beautiful image that communicates something, but not too explicitly. I just can't. I just put a lot of shit in it, and then I try to make it funny, maybe, but not in the way that works. Painting is really hard. It's much easier to write a funny tweet, and then you're like, Oh, that was actually too good for Twitter. I'm just going to put that in a comic. <laughs> That's way easier.
0: That dilemma is interesting to me because you do editorial illustration also. There do you find like your piece being paired with an existing text. You know that it's easier to find that balance because you've got kind of a counterweight already in the text. That it's a difference composing editorial illustrations versus composing standalone uh, images of your of your own.
1: I think the best illustrators can do that. There are a lot of illustrations that I would happily have on my wall because they stand alone, and those are the real good artists. And I'm not one of them. I think I belong in commercial illustration because, I mean I, I mean, I don't think I'm a very good illustrator, but, you know, I don't think I make images that can stand alone in comics or in illustration. Uh, in comics, I can aid them with some text, and in illustration, I feel like they're often just poor company to the text. They're just functional. They're kind of barely doing what they're supposed to. I don't know. I don't like my, <laughs> my commercial work. Um, but I pay my bills with it. And if any art director is listening, uh, please hire me. <laughs>
0: okay, I'll ask you our last question now. Aliens have made contact with Earth, and they seem benevolent, but we still want to make a good impression. You've been selected to introduce them to comics. So what do you show them first?
1: Why do we want to make a good impression, though?
0: <laughs> I mean, if I guess if you're at peace with the the complete elimination of the human species than it is. Then it I am fully at with that.
1: We've been here too long. Um, okay, if I had to introduce them to comics, but then I feel like I would need to know a lot more about comics from around the world than I do. I think I could do a good job of introducing them to Brazilian comics, maybe American comics, although I still feel like I don't know a lot Um, about American comics or maybe I'm the ideal person because I wouldn't give them any superhero comics Mm -hmm. at all should I just like say a bunch of artists
0: sure yeah yeah name drop some Brazilian artists if you you oh
1: yeah well I would show them Laerte Puyupo is one of my favorite artists um she's amazing I love her work very much um Julia Baltazar also from Brazil also really good also very young there's this crop of really young artists in Brazil right now who are so good Adonis Pantazopos. Um Puyupo and Adonis actually have a book out by Chapbooks mm-hmm. called Ulcer um, oh Flav Wush. she's, oh my god I think she's like 16 she's really good uh, there's this artist who goes by, I think she still goes by Love Love Six <laughs> um, amazing cartoonist who else? Out, out of my favorite artists, um, Gabrielle Bell. Um, I love Julie Ducey's work. Even though I know people have pointed out like some iffy stuff. I can't wait until someone points out iffy stuff in my work, by the way. <laughs> Phoebe Glockner also um, is really, really good. I love her work a lot. She also, like... It's very vulnerable and funny, her work. And it's not self-deprecating, I don't think, not in that bad way. Mm. She's really good. I love Julian Tamaki's work very much. I'll even say some uh, men. <laughs> uh, I love Michael DeForge's work. He's so good. Uh, Patrick Kyle is so good. Maybe that's enough.
0: Yeah, it's a, that's if that enough. doesn't save us. Then. Yeah,
1: take that to Mars.
0: All right, thank you, Laura. Thank you for talking to
1: me.